Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. So, why study the book of Jonah? Donald, what are you hoping that we're going to learn from studying this tiny, obscure, hard-to-find book in the Bible. Jonah. I am so glad you asked. Thank you for asking. I think there's a couple reasons why we're studying the book of Jonah. Uh, One of the reasons is that Jonah is such a, a fantastic example of what sin and grace is. Of desperation and deliverance. You know, a lot of us here this morning... Uh, we know church life. A lot of you have been here for years, and so you know religious talk. You know Christian lingo. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we get so familiar with it all that we lose the significance of words that we often use. Words like sin and words like grace. See, if we don't have a proper understanding of what sin is and what grace is, we will never have a proper understanding of what the gospel is. Because the gospel is all about we have a sin problem, but God's grace is so great it goes beyond our sin problem. You know, I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, you know, sometimes we, we hear the gospel story, our lives are transformed by it, But then after a while, you know, all of a sudden, our life, well, it gets, it seems to be a little better. We kind of clean up our act and, oh, we don't do what we maybe once used to do. And we're doing new things and we're going to Bible studies and church. And all of a sudden, we forget how desperate we once were and that we really did need deliverance. See, we're so thankful that we have the gospel, yes. But it's like sometimes we treat it like it's a one-time event. Thank you, Lord, for getting me in. I'll look after the rest. And we forget. Sometimes from really the pit that we once were in. So that's why I say it's so important that we really have a good understanding of grace or sin and grace. And Jonah is a great example of a man running from God, sin. But then God chasing after Jonah, grace. You know, um, Jonah is blatantly sinning in this book. I mean, he's just so blatant. He's not trying to hide it. And God is so blatantly chasing after him with grace. That relentless uh, pursuit of grace that God has. Another reason I think it's good to study the book is because I think we all can relate to Jonah. I I really do. He's easy to relate to because we're just like him. And I know some people get offended when I say that. Because you would say, I am nothing like Jonah. Jonah is on the run from God. That doesn't describe me at all. Well, in week number one, we kind of looked at some similarities that we have with Jonah. But here's another similarity that we have. Jonah is a religious man that has grown up in a religious culture, 
in a religious country. Hey, we're religious people. We live in a religious city. And you go, what do you mean a religious city? Listen, we have Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Pentecostal churches, there are Mormon churches, there are Greek Orthodox churches, there's Anglican churches, there's community churches, there's independent churches, there's brethren churches. I mean, there's churches everywhere. We are a religious city. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but I looked it up this week. Sarnia is about eight miles by eight miles. Well, 63 square miles, they said. So eight miles one way, eight miles another. I live two and a half miles from here, and I pass seven churches to get here. Oh, we are a religious city. There's no doubt about that. Religion is everywhere. But the thing is, you can do religious things. You can be a religious person, and you can live in a religious environment, but not have your life transformed by God. See, the gospel transforms people's lives. Religion just keeps you busy. Big difference. There is a stark contrast. And I hope that as we go through this book week after week, that we'll really be able to see the stark contrast that there is between religion and the gospel. And another reason I think it's good for us to study this book is because when you study the book, you cannot help but see it. It's so right there in your face that God loves people. And God loves cities. Why else would he look at a city like Nineveh who has absolutely no interest in God? <laughs> they don't worship him. They don't love him. They don't obey him. They have, they, they're not interested in him at all. And yet there's God. Loves those people. Loves a city who wants nothing to do with them. In fact, he loves them so much, he sends a messenger so they could hear the story of God's great love for them. You know, here we are in the city of Sarnia. And I believe it is our responsibility to love the city because God loves it. And God loves the people of the city of Sarnia. Even the people that don't agree with us, even the people that don't perhaps even like us and don't care for God, because we have tens of thousands of them right in our own city, but he still loves them. And God has placed us here, not by accident. We are not in the city of Sarnia by accident. God has strategically placed us in this city to let this city know that there is a God that is so great that he can reach farther than how much you've messed up your life. Like, we can really mess up our lives, but God's grace always seems to go just a little bit farther. And here we are in the city of Sarnia, and Sarnia needs to know that. That there's a city that loves him. Now, in the very first verse in chapter one, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God said, go, and Jonah said, no, 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 no. I'm not doing it. And the Bible says he actually went in a different direction. God asked him to go to the city of Nineveh, and he says, no, I'm not doing it. Now, at first, some people may say, well, I think it's ridiculous anyway that God would ask Jonah to go to Nineveh. I mean, Jonah is an enemy of the Assyrians, 
Why would God ask somebody like uh, uh, an Israelite, a Jew, to go to enemy territory? It's ridiculous to think about that. And so we'd say, well, Jonah, of course, Jonah was scared to death. But you know what? I don't think Jonah is scared. I don't think he's scared to cross enemy lines. Even though the Assyrians are very cruel people, they are wicked people. I mean, they would be held up for war crimes if they were around today. No, see, Jonah, as a prophet of God, has seen, has observed uh, the protection of God. I mean, Israel has a rich history of where the Israelites have gone into enemy territory and God just protected them. So I don't believe that Jonah doesn't think that God wouldn't protect him. No, no, Jonah is mad. He's mad in chapter 1. He's mad in chapter 2. He's mad in chapter 3. He's mad in chapter 4. He's mad at the beginning of the book. He's mad in the middle of the book. And he's mad at the end of the book. Because the call on his life. Because he does not want those Assyrians to experience what he's experienced. And that's why I said he's a racist. He thinks he's so much better. Which actually, if you study Israel's history, they really thought they were so much better than all the surrounding nations. That's why we'd say, you know, he's like a bigot, this Jonah guy. God's asked him to go and share a story that could transform a city, and he just says, no, I'm not doing it. I will not have those people have the same thing that I have. Because, God, I know, I know if I go there and they listen to me, you will show mercy and you will extend your grace, and I will have nothing to do with it. And so Jonah takes off running the other way. By the way, anytime you're ready to run from God, guaranteed there will be a, a ship in port ready to take you wherever you want to go. When you say it's time for me to head in the opposite direction, guarantee that ship's ready, fuel's ready to go, and there just happens to be an extra ticket for you to buy to get on. Ladies that are lonely, there will always be a man to fill the gap while you're waiting. Men who have fantasies in their thoughts, there will always be a computer available to you. Always. When you're ready to run, there's always a ship in port to take you where you want to go. That's the whole story of Jonah. Now, as we've looked at the story, it's kind of interesting to look at the different reactions that take place in, in Jonah. In fact, what we have here is that uh, the sailors' reaction, of course, they're in the middle of a storm, and, and they're frightened to death. I mean, these are seasoned sailors. They're rugged men, and uh, they're scared to death. And, of course, I think I would be too. I mean, it's the storm of the life. They're about to die. And what do they do? The first thing the Bible says, they call on their gods, any god, all the gods. <laughs> do something to spare us. And that doesn't work. So we've got to come up with our own plan. Uh, let's start lightening the ship. Let's throw all of our baggage, all of our stuff overboard. It may be our only chance of survival. Maybe we can make it through the storm. We just get rid of our stuff. They were trying desperately to save themselves. Desperately. 
They were doing everything possible to guarantee their survival. They're desperate. They're grasping for ideas, asking anyone or anything for help so they could survive this storm. We read it. Captain goes below, and there's Jonah, this prophet of God. People are about ready to lose their lives, and he's snoring away. We got a shipload of people who are desperately trying to find a way to be escaped, to find a way to be delivered from the storm of their life, and there's the man of God sleeping it away. And the captain goes down, of course, you know, he, he asks all these questions, like, how can you be sleeping? Our ship was about ready to, we're going to lose it. People are going to die. And you're down here sleeping. Call on your God, do something. Maybe your God would be able to deliver us. And they asked him all these questions, like the Spanish Inquisition. You know, where'd you come from? Who are your people? Why are you on the run? Like, what's happening? And when they discover, in the story, when they discover that the result of the storm is because Jonah is running, well, then they become more fearful. Because now they realize they're up against something that's greater than just the wind and storm and high waves. Oh, no, no, this is, this is even different. They're terrified. And when Jonah told them that his God was coming after him, that was the reason for the storm. It was because of his disobedience. They're even more fearful, the Bible says, if you read through the story there. They are exceedingly afraid, and nothing in their own power can save them. Not a thing. The sailors, notice two things. The sailors were afraid because they did not know God, and Jonah was afraid because he did know God. The sailors are fearful. You know why? I think they have a distorted view of who God is. And I think we can give credit to Jonah for that. See, they don't know that God has sent an intervention for Jonah. They don't know that Jonah's God is a merciful God, a God that is full of grace. All they know and see is that Jonah's God must be a vengeful God, full of anger and running after this Jonah guy to punish him. I think they get the impression that God is some cranky deity that must be appeased by getting even with this runner. I think the people on the ship have a distorted view of who God is. And Jonah doesn't help correct the misunderstanding either. No. Jonah actually adds to their misunderstanding when you read through there. Hey, you want your problems to be over? You want your problems to be solved? Then just kill me. Which gives the impression, you know, that Jonah's God is, uh, is after blood. That's the kind of God that Jonah is serving. That's what I think people begin to see. As I said, Jonah is just, he's angry through the whole thing. From the very beginning of the story. Jonah says, as soon as you throw me overboard, things will get fixed for you and they're like oh no 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 we're not doing that <laughs> first of all he's already angry at you no no we're not getting, we're not going down that road so it says that they actually tried harder to save themselves they rode and they rode and nothing was getting them close to land 
their response proves uh, their impression of God that since nothing is happening, this is one angry God. Voice angry at this man, Jonah. And because, I don't know, that's how I see it. Because this is the picture that Jonah has painted, I think it's going to be very hard for these people to trust this God who is a merciful, gracious God. I think it's challenging for them because of that view that they have of God. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I think there's a lot of people in this world have a distorted view of God because of how Christians sometimes live. You know that? I think sometimes we give this impression, before you come to church, you better clean yourself up. (laughs) Because the clean go to church. The people that have their lives all together, well, that's who go to church. Get their shirts all pressed and look nice. No, no. That's not who needs church. It is the broken. It is the one who has lives are so shattered that they have no place to go. And here's the, some sailors that it's hard for them to trust this God. But it says, the Bible says, they finally come to their wit's end. Like, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We're grabbing at the last straw. And so it says they threw him overboard. You know, I've talked to enough people in my lifetime who aren't Christians, who aren't church people, who have said to me, you know what, if that's, if that's what a Christian's like, I actually don't really want. If, if that's what the God that you guys all serve, I'm not really interested in it. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, I just know way too many hypocritical Christians. And I go, yeah, there's a lot of us at church. And there's times I'm like it. Or somebody says, you know, I, uh, I just had a really bad business deal with a so-called Christian. And if that's what Christianity is like, then I really don't need it. Like, I don't need that kind of God. And so I read the story, and, and that's what I'm, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with. Is there sailors here who are desperately trying to save themselves? And all Jonah is painting a picture, there's an angry God. Again, sometimes people look at Christians and go, look at those mean-spirited Christians, always judging people. I don't want to be a part of that. And I think they get a distorted view. I think sometimes they get a distorted view from my life, too. I think sometimes we give these impressions to our enemies, our family, our friends, our colleagues of what God's like. I think there are many times Christians give a wrong impression of the God that has rescued them from their sins. I, I think to myself as I, I read through the New Testament, you, you have these questions. Why these people, uh, these, all these broken people, they run to Jesus in the New Testament. And I go, well, why are these same people running to the church? What is it that they, they're so attracted to Jesus, but not the church? 
when you read through the New Testament. Because the reality is none of us, the only reason actually that any of us can claim God's forgiveness is because of what Christ has done for us. Like none of us have any bragging rights. None of us can say, well, look what I've done. No. It's simply because of the kindness of God. Because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy. See, all of us were like, we were desperate. All of us needed someone who would come and deliver us. Because self-salvation projects never work. They always fail. Ten out of ten times, self-salvation projects always fail. It causes a lot of frustration to people. Now, when you first read the story and you think, oh, look at that Jonah. Isn't he so heroic? He lays down his life. He says, listen, throw me overboard and your problems will be all solved. Now, I don't think that's what Jonah's doing here. Jonah is so mad at God that he's trying to run from God, and that's not giving him any freedom. So the best thing is, well, if I, get, if I just kill myself, <laughs> it would be better to be dead than to do what God's asked me to do. I don't really see this as a heroic act. Because really, if, if, if God was doing a work in Jonah's life there, if he was responsive, he would have said, you know what, guys? I'm on the run from God, and God has sent an intervention to, to, to save me. Turn the boat around, and let's head back to Joppa. And then I'll do what God's asked me to do. No, that's not what he asked. Kill me. I'd rather die than do what God's asked me to do. He says, just kill me. So tell me, what kind of an impression does that give to the sailors? Oh, God will be satisfied because it's right. He is a bloodthirsty God. My God wants blood. I think it's kind of the picture he's painting for these sailors. And Jonah thinks in verse 1 that if he just runs from God, he'll have some freedom. And that's not working. So he says, you know what, maybe if I obtain death, I'll finally be free of God. Interesting to think that this prophet of God, this man of God, thought it would be better to die than to see a group of people repent of their sin and experience the grace of God. It's almost hard to get my mind wrapped around that. That the best option would be to die than to see Nineveh repent. But for Jonah's sake, God would not let Jonah win. For his own sake, he wouldn't let him win. God was intervening for Jonah. <laughs> Jonah needed to be saved from Jonah. And there's God lavishing his grace on someone who just wants to get far from God. Interesting, when you continue to read this story, uh, the sailors 
who are so fearful of this God. They don't know anything about him. But when they finally throw him overboard, when they finally do, it says that before they were so fearful of God, and now they've seen the miraculous hand of God, it says, and they fear God. They were fearful of him, but now they fear God. Interesting, the transformation that takes place. They were once afraid because they didn't know God. They didn't know what kind of God he was. But the Bible says they made a vow and they made a promise. And they worshiped God. Sailors see the mercy of God. See, the storm, the storm was God's merciful intervention. And it had two results. Jonah got saved from himself and the sailors got saved. Despite Jonah's disobedience, God put his mercy on display for all to see despite what Jonah was doing. You know, lots of times we learn more about God when we see him in action. And I find it very interesting that the unrighteous sailors, the godless sailors, get it before Jonah gets it. Isn't that interesting? Those who don't know God get it before the man who is a prophet of God. But you know what I've discovered? That the immoral person always gets it before the self-righteous person. It's always the unrighteous person who gets the gospel before the religious person. Isn't that interesting? God sent Jonah to go deliver a message so people could know about the great love and mercy of God. Well, many years later, many years later, God sent another messenger who would tell of God's great love and his great mercy. You know, it's one thing to say that God is love. It's a very different thing to say God loves me. It's very personal. Than making that big blanket statement that he would love me in my condition with my hang-ups and my messes. He loves me. And Jesus sacrificed his love, this messenger sent from God, so we could be saved. Jonah is like a precursor to Christ. And there were lots of precursors before Jesus came, and they all failed until Jesus arrived. Jesus is our only hope. I say that with confidence. Jesus is our only hope. Hope. No matter how hard we try to please God, it just doesn't work. Here's these sailors, they're doing everything they can to save themselves. 
I'll cry out to any God. I'll get rid of my stuff. I'll, I'll get rid of the baggage. If I just can get to land, then I'll be saved. And they row and they row and they row and they go nowhere. I think we have a city full of people who are just trying Maybe please God or, or get his acceptance. They're working hard. They're rowing. They're rowing. They're getting rid of stuff to no avail. And that's why sometimes religion gets dangerous because sometimes it clouds who Jesus is and the gospel message. Jesus is our only hope. And if we're ever going to be stripped away from slavery, it's going to be because of what Christ did on the cross. A couple things as we wrap up. The first thing is, I think from this story, that we need to respond to this city like God responded to Nineveh. I think there's a part of our responsibility, a calling on Temple Baptist Church to let a city know there is a God who is so full of grace that his grace will reach so much farther than the mess in your life. I know we live in a city where not everyone agrees with us. I know that. Not everyone even likes us. But it does not neglect our responsibility. Because God loves the people of Sarnia. Even those who would take their fists and defy God. He loves them. I don't get it. It's so beyond me. It's scandalous. This grace of God. That it does that. I believe... We're to be the best neighbors in the city. The best, not just good neighbors, the best neighbors because of what Christ has done for us. And out of this text, and as I read through the story over and over and over again, I wonder, how are we going to respond? I hope it's that we never become self-righteous to a city who is far from God. I think that's God's call in our life for this city. I really do. I believe that. Secondly, I just want to ask the question. Everybody here. And that is, what are you putting your trust in? Like, what is it that you're, you're trusting that's going to please God in your life? Good works, your reputation, the relationships you have, the money that you might have, I'm telling you, you hear stories over and over again, these all leave you empty. They never satisfy. They fill this little void temporarily and then there's a need for more. It cannot satisfy. It was never designed to satisfy. That's why I say Jesus is your only hope. He's the only one. that can set the burdens, that you can release the burdens to. You know, the Bible says 
that if we call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's true today. It's actually true today. For those who call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, you can be saved. If you would call upon him, recognize, hey, acknowledge we're sinners. I don't think any of us have to be convinced of that, that we're sinners. No strong arguments have to be given that we're a sinner. We see uh, some of the things that we do, that we get involved in. No, there's no convincing there. The thing is, do we understand what it's going to take to cover that sin? I don't want you to get confused with religion and the gospel. Because religion will keep you busy, 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 busy trying to please God. But the gospel, this is why it's good news. The gospel is good news because you can't do it, which is good news because someone actually has done it for you. That's the good news. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you may be religious, a religious person, living in a religious city like Sarnia, but you don't know Jesus. It's a strong contrast, religion and gospel. It's a vast contrast because the gospel transforms your life. And as I said before, religion just keeps you busy. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we are grateful for the grace that has been extended to us. Lord, if there's anything that we're learning from the book of Jonah is that your grace is always greater than our sin. That your grace always reaches farther than the messes we make in our life. Lord, I, I'm so thankful that we could read this little book, this tiny, obscure, hard-to-find book of the Bible, study this man's life, and we see Jesus we're reminded over and over and over again of our desperation and our need for a deliverer. We're reminded over and over again that we're sinners and there's grace available. A grace that is far greater than our sin. And Lord, here for those here this morning, who don't know Jesus. Oh, they know lots of things about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus personally. They've really never called upon the name of the Lord. Lord, our prayer is that today would be a defining moment in their life, that they would surrender their life to you, call upon you, and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I cannot fix this on myself. I can't do it, I've tried just can't do it I need you I need you to cover my sins for me Lord I invite you into my life transform me so that I'd be a child of God and then Lord for those here of us who are believers already 
would you do it again? Break our hearts with a freshness, a newness for our city. For a city who is religious but far from you. Lord, open our eyes to see how we can, we can make a difference. Your people, the people of God, the calling on our life to tell this city that there is a God full of love, full of mercy and grace that is greater than their sin. We love this city. And God, we, we believe you can transform this city. So we're available.